What was the hardest part you ever did? Any Ooh, of I know mine. It was totally brutal. The Navy was, you know, really on our butt to make sure that we got it done. The $300 end mills just breaking and breaking and mm. breaking. So I can't really say anything about it other than... You know, you know what's crazy <clears throat> is we did the podcast last week and it was like insane i got so many messages of people like literally wanting to quit their jobs open machine shops let's go you know you had some too right oh a ton emails and great great content you know people excited about the conversation but you know i mean it's not easy right it is not easy it's not easy yeah it is not easy it's one of the greatest gifts because it could be very successful but man the hours right absolutely absolutely you know talking about like my story four machines against all odds you know going deep into the pool and just risking everything you know having bill selway co-sign my loan having a meeting jeff and jeff actually giving me a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars like like it never happens like that. No, nope. you know it's it's an amazing story, and it happened to me, and and it, the planets align, and and of course my faith is huge in my life, and I know that this was God's plan for my life. But then, you know, on other people, they have paths too. They have plans yep. also, and they have families, and and I want to see everybody be successful. But at the same time, I think it's important to like talk to people that, you know, hey. This industry can change your life. It can give your life purpose. It can it can provide a living for your family. It can uh, enable you to actually put your kids through like crazy colleges or not, or just give them a life that you could never give them. This trade can do that. But at the same time, it takes a certain individual to actually step up and do what's needed to make it all happen. Like oh, you well, have absolute. to have grit. Absolute. I you, think Jesse, you brought it up a little bit, right? We were talking about, you know, how a guy if it what what do you want out of it? You know, I sold guys machines in, in their garage, like we talked before, right? Maybe that guy has two machines, but you made a good point. You said, you know, almost uh, lay out your plans of what you want to be. Because, you know, if you want to be a shop garage shop, hey, one machine, two machine, I'm done, or you know, go to 30 machines, go to, you know, multiple spindles and multiple mil- millions of dollars in employees. But it's a good you got a good call. Yeah, I think that was Barry was talking about talking about that, you know, putting it in that you're what, what how you're going to expand, you know. Yeah, you got to yeah, think right. about scale. Scaling. Yeah, that's beginning. how you put it. And, you know, what Titan did, Titan's one in a billion, you know, so it's not going to work that same way for everybody. So if you're just starting off in your shop, that might be, you know, where you're at in life mm-hmm. because there's a lot more that you have to think about than just, you know, a machine payment or, you know, who your customers are. You got to think about where you're at in life in general, because, you, you know, if you have kids that are in school and, mm. you know, they're in football, they're in cheer, they're in whatever, you know, if you own a shop, you're going to have to give up a lot of your own time. And I watched my grandpa do it. I watched my dad do it. So, you know, you're going to be missing things that you wouldn't miss otherwise. And like for me, I know, you know, where I've been at my whole career is after watching my dad and grandpa struggle, you know, I have no desire to own my own machine shop because I know that I'm just not built to have stress at home and stress at work. And you work at the baddest shop on the planet. Yes, now, yes. (laughs) Yes. Now I have no stress, but, you know, it wasn't always like that. Yeah. 
One thing I'll say is like, we talked about the four machines in the previous podcast and I looked at the building, I looked at the customers, you know, that I wanted, I looked at all of it and I, and I thought, how do I sell them? Like, and, and I, I was going big, like I was going after it, but I knew like to, to sell the customers, I would have to like have a certain narrative. I'd have to have to have a certain story and stuff. So everything was about high speed machining, dropping times and taking on the type of work that would allow me to run like tens of thousands of pieces and one person run four machines and then stack it. Like I had that whole plan in place and stuff. And if you get a building and you have electricity and you have all the tooling and, and everything, like you can't start with two machines. Like I started with four machines, it was perfect, but I ran out of money so quick. Well, we talked about you know it, right? I mean? Like think of not just the machines you have to buy. I mean, that's, that's the big Absolutely. ticket. But mm-hmm. then if you're a brand new shop, like what did you use every day in the shop that you guys you, you know like had at your at your will? Yeah, cutting tools, Absolutely. work holding. You got so many other things that you have to buy. Gauges, and that's you know different people are at different places in their journey. So Titan had a list of twenty five customers, so he yep. already knew what he needed. Mm, but, you know, some people oh, yeah. might start with just one small customer, and they can afford to piecemeal in. You know, a vice here and a chuck here, yeah. but not the way Titan did. Oh, it would be terrible yeah. if you were trying to start a job shop, you know, or you don't know what's going to walk through the door. Right. So how do you spec a machine? How do you spec work holding, holders? I mean, it, it would be a nightmare. I sold a ton of them to guys just first machine, and that's how they had to do it. They said, okay, size. What is the part size that I would generally see? And most of them went with like a 50-inch a, a travel machine. It was always seemed like a 50-inch travel was a good size, good fit, good footprint. And you could load it up with vices or you could have enough room to, you know, run a, a sizable part. But uh, but then again, like you said, to start a job shop, think of that. Oh, yeah. And the funny yeah. thing is, like, you start with a 50-inch table, guarantee the first 10 parts you quote are going to be 72 yeah. inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Way over or just over. And you're like, God darn it. <laughs> I think you have to have the courage to turn work away. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of, that's like a big mistake that a lot of people make is like they get quotes and they think I have to take this job and yet that can sink your company too much work or the wrong type of work totally. can actually sink your company. So you got to make sure that you understand what your strengths are. You know, that that's something that a lot of people don't talk about is just because you're a machinist, just because you can actually machine apart doesn't mean that you're going to compete with other machinists. That doesn't mean that you're going to just be super successful. Like it takes a certain degree of talent and your ability to to outcompete the competition, whether it's speed or work holding, there has to be something that you do better than everybody else that allows you to sell yourself to that customer. Yep. So that they they say, you know what, this guy's different. This shop's different. I'm actually going to take a chance on them because I, I believe they're going to actually go somewhere. So I'm going to get on get in on the bottom floor and we're going to go, you know, but at the same time, if you don't have the ability, the talent to out machine and then out hustle on the business side to get the work, you know, I think that you need to take it slow. Yeah. There's, and there's so many other things too that you've talked about in vlogs in the past, like, uh, you know, people have to like you. Yeah. So, <laughs> dude, that is that that is something that people don't really like talk about enough. But you need to be likable, like straight up. Like, I don't think we teach our kids enough to be likable. Like your daughters, 
are amazing. Like, <laughs> right? No, I was, I was talking you. to Kylie. Like, she's a mini you, which is crazy. But she comes in, gives you a crazy handshake, looks. She wants to know what's going on. She's asking you questions. And, and you're just like, this kid's awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she's awesome. And But most people aren't like that, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And if you want to go get work and you want to deal with engineers, like, you got to be a likable person. Like, you have to bring value to their lives. If you're just like, I'm going to do this and be happy about it, that doesn't cut it. People need to want to see you show up. They want to, they need to want to like stop what they're doing and give you their time because they see value in the relationship. They see your talent. They see your humility. And they're like, this, this person, I love this person. I want to see them rise in life. Yeah. You, you can't just play the hard ball hard. you like, I'm just going to make you money and this and this and this. And that gets old quick. Yeah, and likable, though, too, you know, again, like you said, not everybody's got that personality, but at the same time, likable is solving solutions. If you're Absolutely. in there taking care of them and and helping the engineer, you know, engineers, you know, right, we, we talked about it earlier. Sometimes you get a print, you look at some, some call-outs on that print, you're like, where did this come from? Yeah, and, you know, being likable is a harder thing than it sounds like. I wouldn't know because, you know, not a lot of people like me. Oh, get out. <laughs> look at this guy. Look at but this guy. seriously, though, I you know. I can see that. Like, and, and and this doesn't just go for, you know, business owners. It goes for machinists, too. If somebody comes off too humble, then you're going to think that they're scared and they're not confident in their yep. abilities. Oh, yeah. If yep. you come off overconfident, now you sound cocky. Yep. And that's another disguise that people use to, you know, hide the fact that they don't really know what they're talking right. about. So you got to walk a fine line for, you know, people to like you. Yeah, You know, call. when I first got into SpaceX, the my line right there and i used it often but i backed it up was i'll take your most challenging job i'll deliver it on time and if you need me to get up at two in the morning go go to the shop and pick that thing up and drive it down to hawthorne and deliver it i will do it you whatever you need to make your delivery to to yeah. make your assembly to make your launch I will like bend over backwards and make it happen. And, and that in itself makes people like you oh, because yeah. they're like, 100%. I have all these problems. This person will do whatever it takes for me. So why, why try to save a hundred bucks for, on this other part? It's like, I'm just going to give it to him because I have confidence, you know? Yeah. Well, there is something to be said about, about that whole interaction is, is something that stands out to me is you said, give me your most difficult project or something it's like nobody does that that i've seen like right most most places that i've gravy. been they're like well give me a little bit of something so I, let me see if i can do it gravy like, gravy they try to kind of talk their way out of it but like you walk up to into any company and you say give me your most difficult uh project now that's that's making a statement yeah, absolutely you know? it's making a statement but I've always looked at it as I get bored quickly. So I, I always want to do something more difficult, more challenging and stuff. And I always look at it and I say, you know what? If I'm going after the easy uh, gravy work, then I'm competing against 98% mm. of the, the companies, yep. right? But then if I go for the more, most difficult materials, the hardest to make and uh, craziest tolerances and stuff and short lead times, then I'm competing against like the one to 2%. That's right. And if I'm willing to like die, man, you know what I mean? Like in oh, boxes, I was willing to die. Like it's the same thing. I'm willing to do what it takes to serve you, to give you amazing parts. I will do it on the weekends. I'll do it at night, whatever. It's Just what it I takes. need the opportunity. Like 
then yeah. you can actually charge more money. Like people, people on this side, they struggle to make $60 an hour. They can think that they're making 75, 85, 95, but then when they look at the actual machine time, they're not making money. But if you're on the other side and you can actually charge for your tooling and your work holding and, and you don't have that competition and they have faith in you, you can pretty much charge what you need to charge and they're going to pay that because it's not worth arguing with you over these parts. Agreed. You know? yeah. Agreed. Seen it many times. You separate yourself from the herd big time by taking on that kind of work. And again, they they probably you know jobs like that probably have gotten no quoted a number oh, of yeah. times right they're 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 for sending sure. those out waiting for somebody to say yes yeah so, they're just begging for somebody exactly and you know if you if you're only competing against one to two percent of the shops out there globally and Hello. you're the one that has the relationship with those vendors already then they're gonna no doubt go to you every time and yep. like i said even if it costs a little bit more they'll gladly pay it oh yeah, yeah it, it, this discussion reminds me of like a story you were telling us uh keith and that was that you had a guy that was actually starting a shop he was getting his machine and everything and he was willing to like just go crazy right mm -hmm. and then he had a girlfriend that said basically ultimatum oh the shop ultimatum. or me yeah like you're putting too much time Eight into months it in and and at that point it, it the marriage is already over or the the chance of the, getting married is already yep, over right yep. because if you take a machinist and, and a shop owner entrepreneur and say hey get rid of like what your you care about your dream right, right they will never be able to live that down they'll always think that you know it was destroyed because of that person but that was very interesting how that whole thing rolled it's out. a it's a great call and a and a great point I've, I've having the opportunity to open and start so many shops if your you know significant other is not on board with you you know it's it's difficult because the hours in those first years or many many years into it it's required it's it's mandatory you're going to have deadlines you're going to have those difficult jobs with the quick turnarounds and those are the jobs that you know it could be one of this two of that five of those but they're going to come in loads they're there you might not get a production job but your 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 customer sees the quality and the and the ability to deliver parts you're going to get get a stack full of prints and, and they have to be on board because the time spent at the shop is, like you said earlier, you're going to miss things. Oh, yeah. And There's no doubt. I mean, Titan has said before how, you know, your significant other sometimes has got to be willing to sleep at the shop. Yep. And I know when you were starting out, Gina was actually running machines at the shop, wasn't oh, she? Oh, yeah. And, nice. then, and, then, and then we put a TV, a bed. I would just sleep there. I was there 24 hours a day. And then she she wouldn't get mad at me. She would come and then bring, back then, DVDs, you know what I mean? And we would watch movies and, and hang out together. And then I would just go change parts, come back, would watch movies and stuff. But that's the whole thing is like, a lot of people want to just open shops and they want to just spend all their money on a machine and just be successful. But today, I think it's important that we talk about that it takes grit, it takes determination, it takes like hard work, it takes crazy talent. And even if you have what it takes to go through everything, does your spouse, Yeah. does your family, yep. like are they willing for the sacrifice? But if you have the talent and you have the right spouse and you sky's have the right the minds, my, sky's the limit. Sky you, is the limit. You can have, you can come from nothing and, and make millions, whatever problems you solve, there's no limit. Like, 
if you can find the right problems to solve for the right people that have money, I mean, hey, you just go go to the sky, man. I've seen it firsthand, and and again, twenty nine years of selling machine tools to a lot of them to you know startups, guys that were getting in on their first machine. I sold them their thirtieth and fortieth machines, you know, and and they did. They they put everything they had, and we all know, right? Regardless of what you do, you know, you got to go all in. You got to give it one hundred percent. Passion is a huge thing, right? We talked about that, I think, on the first one. If you have passion for what you do, it's really not considered a job. You love it so much that you're willing to, you know, do all what it takes. But the other thing is, you know, it, when you become that level and you get up to, uh, you know, a 30 spindle shop, a 40 spindle shop, man, it still isn't easy. You got, you, now you've got, you know, employees, buildings, you know, you're, everything's gone, you know, 30 times what it was when you started. So it, it's just a matter of staying on top of it. The work will always be there. This, res, this industry is so resilient. It's so amazing. Manufacturing will never, ever, yeah, we'll hit our cycles. We'll go up and down. But man, I'm telling you, it will never, ever go away. And that's, you know, you, you talk about how, uh, things can happen and there are so many pitfalls too that people don't see coming and we've talked before about how you know like you get a your first big job and now you have to buy all this material like right. say you have to buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of material right how do you do that or worse you know you might buy all the material you might make all the parts and then your customer goes bankrupt right after you deliver them and mm. you're out for all that material all the labor so things happen that you know you have to think about before you start doing things like this yeah, good call let's go say not only that i mean even if you do get all of your parts made that's not going to guarantee that they're going to pay you right then you know yep. especially if you're doing it for a big company they've got 30 60 days to pay you now you've got to come up with capital for your next job to and keep the, you going yeah payroll employees yeah. payroll pay your machine yeah. payments yeah. And right. I, I think that i think everything that you just said is super both of you guys like super important and like real but at the same time we keep talking about talent and you know you don't want to like tell people hey you can't start a shop because they can and they can be successful oh, 100%. but all of a sudden they might not get paid they might not get the right work they might not whatever you know, but at, at the same time, by looking, watching our videos and by the discussions, there's things that you can put in place and, and especially like giving people skills to build the right relationships, to be honest with their customers that they are so talented and, and they're just starting out and this is how they're going to actually save and uh, money and uh, for that customer and actually give them a crazy value and benefit, you know, their ability to sell that to them and then to state that, hey, can you actually purchase the material for me? If you purchase the material, I won't be adding 15% to it, yep. 20% to yep. it. You'll actually get that clean. And I'll actually, instead of going $75 an hour or $95 an hour, whatever it is, I'll actually drop my price, you know, and I'll do different things. So, so it's all about making deals and creating relationships with customers. So they, they have their eyes open from the beginning that, Hey, we're going to actually go to this person. They have a better lead time. They got crazy talent. Um, the, the problem is they actually don't have a lot of money in the bank, but I understand they just, they're starting out. So yep. I think people will help you. And I, I've found a lot of people and then I would, and then I do like a 10%, you know, net 10, right? So 
two percent net ten two percent net ten always ten percent yeah. but i'll be like yeah i just i'd like give like a discount hey if you pay 10 in within 10 days i'll actually give you this discount off of the the total but then sometimes when i needed money i'd be like hey if you pay if you actually pay me in 10 days, I'll give you 5% off the order. Nice. Sometimes it was even 10% because I just needed the money. Give me the cash. You know, I had other money coming in, but I just needed some money right there. So there's a lot of different deals that you can actually do to actually help yourself along. And that's something that a guy gave me a recommendation on back when I had thought I wanted to open my own shop. And I went to this guy and he was a friend of mine and he owned like a little one or two man shop out in his backyard and a little manual shop but he made a good living for himself and and that was the first thing he told me is learn to quote yeah he said no doubt you can't learn to quote i don't care what you do you will go out of business yeah and be yeah. able to explain yourself a lot of people they they just put the the numbers down and they just give you a price i just did a quote the other day uh customer that travis knew and i was like yeah we'll take care of those 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 will be fun you know some cool little five axis pieces and stuff and uh it's not something we usually do but i was like oh that'll be a fun job and then i looked they wanted 10 pieces so then i quoted and i was like whoa that's a big price so without asking them i quoted 20 30 and 40 and got the order for 40 pieces beauty got the order for yep. 40 pieces and and i just explained look the programming and the setup and everything is going to be done in the initial stage so you know the parts are only 60 minutes a piece right so we need to run more to spread that out amongst right. the pieces and stuff so might as well if you're going to need it later might as well just buy them all right now absolutely you know? yeah. and i see a lot about that in our facebook group too about you know hey you know should i charge nre for this stuff non-recurring engineering and it's like absolutely yeah always I mean, yeah. if you're having to buy tooling you're having to you know buy fixturing you're having the program parts all that should be figured in and you're quoted yeah. at least the first time that you do the parts yeah i'm gonna do i'm gonna do 100 pieces for you right now and then every two months i'm gonna do 100 pieces 100 pieces so do you want me to just give you one price and then that's what it's always going to be or do you want me to give you a lower price forever but i'll give you this separate charge for all of the that's right fixturing and and all the tools that i have to get and then you have a low price forever because we've already purchased this a lot of people they they put the high price and even though they don't have to program and fixture and do all the things the second time, they're just making more money, more money. Yep. So they're making more money and, and the customer doesn't actually understand. And then they're looking at other people and people are saying, hey, I'll do it for 70% of the price. And it's like, well, think if you're about honest it. with the customer from the beginning and you just separate it, yeah. it's better for them. Then think about it. Did you ever get a job? that you didn't have to buy tooling for, you know? I mean, that's always part of right. it. You have to. I mean, yeah, you might have some repeat jobs that you ran, you know, months earlier, six months, a year earlier. Oh, we still got that fixture. We still got that tool set up. You know, let, let's just run that, pull it out of the uh, off the shelf. But most everything you quote, you've never seen before, especially a job shop, right? right. So you're going to be buying you know, additional, uh, like you said, not yeah. reoccurring costs. And, you know, it's important, too, to think about that in the beginning is to be as versatile as possible. So when you're going out and you're buying work holding and things, it really has to be versatile if you're a job shop because that way you can reuse it. Yes. And then you're able to give your customer price breaks in that Good way, call. too. 
So, yeah, yeah. good call. I did. As I was growing and, and going to bigger companies and taking on bigger jobs, and like you say, like, you start running titanium, I mean, these bills are like $20,000 for material, you yeah. know, thirty, fifty thousand $50,000 for material. So I started really just leaning on the customers and saying, look, Help me. I'll give you a better price than anybody else. I'll like I'll, I'll like drop it in half of what anybody else says, but I need you to purchase the material. Yep. I need you to take care of the outside process, and I need you to do these different things. And and then these parts will be as inexpensive as possible. Like nobody will touch these prices right here. You yeah. Know, so that's key. And I always trip out how you talked about how you were doing that. You were quoting at half what the other vendors were, but you were still making a forty percent. Forty percent. And 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 they love it. So like when you come in to an owner and he's got all these engineers and buyers and all, all, you have all of these vendors that are making parts and you come in with something different and you prove yourself and you come in with a plan to save that person money, they love that idea. You know, it's like a, a child coming in with just some crazy plan to like help and you're like, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Right. You could play, be playing video games, but you're coming to me with a plan to like save money. Like, you're brilliant. That's how owners are. They'll look at it and look at the, and they're like, I love that this company is trying to save me money and it's hard for them to turn away from it. Because oh, yeah. they're like, nobody else is doing it. They're just charging me and I don't even know you know why if it's the best price or not you know and a lot of buyers i think don't even understand how it all works you know if you come to me and you want the same part one today then you want one next week one the week after right there's setup times involved in that and things that you know because they don't know what we're doing on the machines. right but they'll look at the price and say wow why is this so much for one but for 10 or 50 it's so much cheaper you know are you punishing me for just ordering yeah. one it's like no this is what it's going to cost us right. to make that one part you got it you got it setup time is ridiculous you got to break down that machine and reset up that one job and then leave it and do oh, it yeah. again. forget oh, yeah. about it that's we did a lot of like uh hot jobs stuff companies that would break down you know something broke they bring to us we need it fixed we need it fixed now and we would always have a a charge in there for what because our machines were set up and running yeah so we would charge them for tearing that down and the time it would take to set it back up on the job that we already had and yeah what's the longest setup you ever had like, can you think of one that was just crazy and it took you days or? Oh, there yeah. Right. I've had some million, $12 million piece of yeah, material. Yeah. Weeks. Right? Weeks. <laughs> That's crazy. Several yeah. weeks. Yeah. I mean, you tell. I mean, they spend weeks here on small stuff. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just playing, just playing. But, but that is it. You know, you, you see this print. Let's just, let's not say weeks, but you look at a print of a part. And, and like you said, whether it's, you know, the buyer, the engineer or whoever, they don't understand what goes into setting that up and how long that oh, yeah. takes. And, and that's a lot of the time that, that whether it's programming and setup just alone, fixturing, if you got to make a fixture, five axis is saving us some time these days, right? We don't have to fixture as much, but back in the day, it was oh, yeah. elaborate. And you think about too, like there's. There's been times where it took me a good month to program a single part. Wow. And that's working all day, every day on that part. Wow. And, you know, I've had engineers come up to me while I was programming something, and they'd be like, why is this taking you so long? You know, to just hit the program button and be done with it. Yeah. And it's like, that's not how it works, yep. brother. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is a month's worth of work. And, you know, I'm not a cheap employee, so... It costs a lot of money sometimes. You're just not to get cheap. It. You're you're right. <laughs> that was that. You're exactly right. But I'm right. worth every penny. Yeah. Oh, always, oh, always. Well. One, one thing, 
everything that you guys are saying is like 100%, right? And there's so much programming, there's so much fixturing involved and and you lump all of that cost into like one release. And uh, that's why companies that do blanket orders are great. Mm, so totally. I don't want America's favorite rocket company, I mentioned them already, but <laughs> the when they started doing blanket orders, that was because of us. Yeah, because we were doing so many orders, and it was like every two, every like you know, two months, every two months, every two months. And now that you know that these are flight parts, if you actually go to a blanket order and give me like an eighteen month lead, like lead, yeah, and and guarantee that I'm gonna have these parts, then whenever I'm slow on different machines, I'll just set it up and run it, and I'll shelf it, yep. and I and I know I have guaranteed work, and then I'll actually take out the. The, all the setup and stuff and i'll just give you a crazy price for this because i have guaranteed work for a long term so it's for me sacrificing some setup to actually have the long-term work actually makes perfect sense and something else to be said for that is you know a lot of companies don't like to do blanket orders or big po's because they don't want to have that inventory sitting on their shelves totally. they can be taxed for it if it's their product so you know by you putting them on your shelves that not only saves the money with the order, but then they're not paying taxes on the inventory. And I've worked at places that were OEMs that would actually machine components to 80% complete just so it could still be considered raw material nice. and keep it on their show. Ooh, a little secret. That little is secrets. a little secret. Yep. I had never heard of that. That's fantastic. But you also have, you know, companies too. You got to make sure and be aware, right? You do a lot of those parts on, on, on parts that are dialed in, you know, you're not getting any rev changes, you know, you shelf about a hundred parts and then all of a sudden they say, Hey, Titan, we're, we're going to rev B on that or rev C. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, okay. But most of what, right. Your favorite yeah. rocket company, that's, that's stuff that's <laughs> been proven, designed, yeah. ready to go. You, you go They're not changing anything on those. Yeah. You've, you've ran it for a year yes. and it's been like release, release, release. It's gone through the revisions and now they're like, boom, yep. you're good. Yep. So yep. it went through, a, definitely went through a process and stuff, but now a lot of companies do it. Yeah. You remember uh, Tricontinent? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I used, I used Great to have company. crazy blanket orders with them. They, yep. they kept me afloat. Like I think that, they that, are that, still I, rolling. Huh? They are still rolling. Oh yeah. 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 They're, they're owned by Gardner Denver. Yes. Correct. Yeah, yep, so that's right. I did a lot of work for those guys. Beauty. I, I, I probably spent two years trying to get in the door and then, yo, you know what happened? Mm. You know, what's crazy is we had jobs that were running for years and years and years. So when I moved to Texas, I actually had to contact them and tell them that I'm not going to do their work anymore. Oh, wow. So I literally sold them one of my machines, one of the hosses that I had the All HRT with the yep. fourth axis. I sold them the, the machine, the fixture, the tombstone. I all, all of it. I just gave them the complete package and set them up so they Program, could just run tooling it. tooling list, yeah, everything. Man. Yeah, so nice. they just run it over there now. Nice. Never thought I would do that, you know, <laughs> fighting for all these right. customers and stuff, but we just had bigger plans to come over here to Texas and just do something nobody's ever done. I, had, I had one guy doing the same thing. He bought, uh, did you know Wayne Grimm? Yeah. Yeah, great, great, great he guy. He started a shop outside his like, kitchen or something. He walks he out and then he's got machines right there, right? He's one of the greatest guys ever. He and his wife, Sherry, and he did a lot of tricontinent work. And he bought three VF2 SSs from me, two YTs, one standard with uh, five-axis trunnions. And he did. He'd wake up in the morning, walk straight across the, the driveway to his shop, brought in three-phase power, and just ran. He, I think he finally retired here, just literally 
six, eight months ago. It's like a dream situation. Dream. Those dream. are a lot of my favorite stories, man. The guys that just start like that and then they build this huge company and it's super cool. Like one machine in your right outside your kitchen oh, that's crazy man great is that yeah you gotta have the right type of work though yes yeah. if you're running one little part this cut takes three minutes and you only run one run one vice you're screwed yeah, yeah like it's sure. a nightmare you gotta you gotta get Change the right over. work and do it under the right circumstances and sweating yeah you gotta get that that gravy but the big parts that take what was your what was the hardest part you ever did any Ooh. of you guys i mean the most <laughs> difficult Ooh. right Tolerance or material? Do you really? Yeah, I know, I know mine, mine too. I've got to hear this. We can't say too much about what it was, but I mean, I had this gruesome part, and it was just a monster part. I mean, it, the tolerances were, were crazy. I had to do it in a four-axis mill. And the thing, you know, it was a, a what was it, 17-4 forging. Hello. But it was, you know, a huge rectangular forging, and the, the part had two tenths on all these diameters. It had plus or minus one-tenth holes that were past the four-inch tall boss. I mean, it was a nightmare, and I was having to do it in a software I had never used before, so that was the first part I had done in that software, and it was a beast. And forgings are a pain anyway, oh, right? Oh, yeah, and there Just, was so much difference between forging and forging. We had hundreds of, of them. Of course, made, you know? so of course. It was totally brutal. The Yeah, the Navy was, you know, really on our butt to make sure that we got it done in time wow. and intolerance and... We ended up doing it, but Very good. Jesse's was worse than mine, though. I, I'll give him credit for yeah. that. <laughs> I don't know about that, but they were pretty bad. Mine was, uh, I can't really say anything about it other than I can tell you that the insert that I used, there was a four micron difference between a good part and a bad part. What? And I like to tell everybody that because that four microns was the thickness of the coating that was on the insert. Unbelievable. Because if you used a uncoated insert, you would get a, a good part. No chatter, uh, good surface finish, everything. But as soon as you go to a coated insert, because the material was stainless, so and the part was so long that an uncoated insert wouldn't last one pass. Mm. So, But as soon as you go to a coated insert, everything went out the window. Was Shattered. it thin wall? Was it? It was very thin wall, and it yeah. was very long. I think the boring bar that I had was maybe 24 inches Holy stick out smokes but it but it had to be it had to go into a less than a one inch diameter hole and those yeah, parts like were a, brutal yeah i wanted to cry for you when i saw you working on those <laughs> I things you, i had a lot of sleepless nights over those parts barry's over there with a mop yeah, it's, yeah like i said you know anytime that we got a part at general atomics that i knew i couldn't do i just gave it to jesse and then <laughs> I went, on, yeah. went on and programmed washers went home and slept good you that's know? right yeah. Yeah. yeah right leave all the stress to the young buck yeah, don't right. stay here too late jesse bye now <laughs> <laughs> that's so good for me for me we actually we did so many parts that had crazy tolerances true position and like tense and you know thin wall titanium parts inconel parts monel parts all these all these different types of parts and stuff so so this this is a job where we're actually you know making making money on i have a certain amount of time that we have to finish this and and the material comes and it's oversized the material's like oversized so just to cut like a couple inches of it's ridiculous yeah and it's like a square part but they gave us round material. So now we have to like 
pre-machined dovetails into it and then we have to grab this thing and then we got to hog all this material away to get it down to like a rectangle and then it's extra long and then they hardened it to a point like I've, I've machined 718 so many times and 625 and it's just not a thing you have the right surface foot the right chip load and and like you get it done yep right yep but this with the right surface foot and chip load the tools were breaking so three hundred dollar end mills just breaking and breaking and mm. breaking so i'm like three end mills broken on one part mm. Stuart's calling me up and like oh i just broke three end mills on this job and i'm like that's like thousand dollars like all the money's leaving this job. Mm. It's crazy. So now I'm feeling the stress. You right. Know? So I'm, I make some calls and I'm getting like different end mills and stuff. And, you know, people are giving me some free test end mills. Nothing. The the longest I could get one to last was about 90 minutes. Holy But most smokes. of them was 30 and stuff. And, and that's why when people ask like, oh, I can't metal this and this, man. It wasn't about Kenna Metal. Kenna Metal wasn't giving me free tools or anything. I was, I literally was just trying to get this part done. And then I talked to um, Danny Davis at Kenna Metal and he actually gave me the Harvey. And then I, we put that bad boy in and all of a sudden, boom, that seven hit. hours. No way. Seven, <laughs> seven wow. hours. That's crazy. And that was when I started talking about Kenna Metal and we weren't even partners yet, you know, and it's like just... I couldn't even believe it and I literally held the end mill up and me and Stuart were there and there was like nicks in it and like oh. it was all broken and we we're like there are battle wounds and this <laughs> and this and this thing died everybody would take it out everybody would take the tool out right when it gets little nicks and stuff sure we just left it in man and it it ended up looking like a corn cop but it didn't break and it kept roughing and wow. and we just like added some surface area to be like finished afterwards just in case it did break and we didn't want it to ding the actual yep. surface of the part yep but seven hours man and that that video right there actually went viral and everybody now calls it the zombie mill the harvey <laughs> three mill, and stuff, no way which, which is crazy that, that is crazy a, yeah. a good story that people just don't know because a lot of the things that we do here we don't put on camera but it was so cool when we had that huge aerospace company come in here and they said, you know, we didn't know how to machine Inconel. We're not getting tool life. We saw one of your oh, you videos. Can, you can actually talk about that. That's, yeah, that's Lockheed Martin. Yeah, so Lockheed came yeah. in here with all their, you know, big guys that were in charge of how they, they manufactured Googled because their vendors weren't cutting it and they were taking, charging crazy prices. Lockheed Googled, the head guy that handles all vendors, Googled how to machine 718 and actually our video, that video, the yep. zombie video, popped up and no it was funny because they came That's in here great. and we actually ran that tool and i think they were getting one pocket per end mill and it was taking like an hour a pocket something like that and the time it took them to do one pocket we did four all with the same tool Holy and had no problem smokes. what a game changer and we just did and what was awesome was that we just put on a clinic not just the tool but the approach, you know what I mean? Like how to actually come into the material with the least amount of pressure, how to actually do certain things with the tool so you just never 
put unwanted stress on that tool and it just cuts and cuts and cuts and and that's why the tools last mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with programming and and just just understanding the nature of the material and making sure that there's no pressure on it what was really what they did and, and a lot of people can learn from this what they did that was so smart is they actually lockheed said okay look we have all of these jobs that are running like that are being made in 718. So we're gonna actually use this tool, we're gonna make it the standard. So now they created a partnership with Kenametal to and they told all their guys, you only use this tool with this data, wow. you know, and this is how you run it. And not only that, but if you're a vendor and you're quoting us time, you need to be doing this because wow. we're not going to pay for your slow ways. Right. And that is so smart. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? So they, they made it a standard and then they actually put it out and allowed us to talk about it, which is something that usually doesn't happen. Yeah, so, I didn't think we could talk, yeah, talk about we're, it. We're, talking, we're, <laughs> we're like, teaching kids, we're teaching machine shops and owners and stuff, but it's cool when you get to say that, hey, Titans of CNC was huge in teaching Lockheed Martin how to machine Inconel efficiently. Bad. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Boom, awesome. baby. Yeah. yeah. So good. Let's go. So I think like, I think this is a, this is a great follow-up video on the first one that we did when we talked about just building shops, building shops, building shops, yeah. and everybody was like going crazy, you know, just like, I'm going to go spend all my money on this shop. So coming back and just talking about, you know, the different tips and tricks that you can do that you actually have to have your eyes wide open, that your family has to actually be 100% with you, yes. backing you, you have to be one, you know, and that knowing that you actually have to have the talent and the work, and maybe you think you're ready, but maybe you're ready to get a machine for the garage, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, great start, and start doing it, but make sure that you work at a great company and many great companies so that you can actually learn all the best techniques and hone your skills so when you do go out on your own, you're able to be successful and you can rewrite the future of your family literally oh, yeah. because Love of it. this trait. Yep. Yeah. Manufacturing is king. King. And you can do amazing things. No doubt. With this trait. Yeah, no doubts. Love you guys, man. Love you, buddy. Yeah, Boom. Yeah. Love you, man. Absolutely. Boom. Boom. Thank yep. you, guys. Yes, we are out. Peace.